Good morning. Good morning. Texas weather, huh? It's like, what was it? What was the high this week? Like 85, 90? Okay, that makes sense. That's good. Um, well, good morning. Um, again, we are um, wrapping up our time in the book of Revelation. And I don't know about y'all, but I know for me, it has been a time of, um, it's just been really fruitful and fun to be in this book. Um, and I think that one of the main reasons for me that it has been fruitful and fun is that I never thought the book of Revelation could be fruitful or fun. So anyways, we, we really hope that it's been the same for y'all. Um, and I think any time that you're able to dive into the words of Jesus, it's going to be fruitful and fun. Maybe not always fun, but we, we try and go towards that end. So today we start out in... Uh, or we start out and also end our time in the book of Revelation in chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. Um, in the black Bibles that are there on the chairs, it's going to be page 1030, 1030. And um, so you can kind of put a place marker, put your finger in there. That's what we're going to be reading out of today. Uh, when I was in middle school, um, I, well, I was raised Catholic my entire life. And then my buddy John Wilson said, hey, um, I, and he was Baptist and very evangelical. And I didn't really know what that word even meant. And I'd never really even been to another church in San Antonio other than St. Mark's, um, where I went my whole life. And he said, hey, there's a summer camp. You should really come. It's super fun. Uh, and so I went. And it was the first time I'd ever been to a summer camp of any kind, let alone a Baptist Christian summer camp. So I go, great time, running around, have fun. The end of the week comes. And everyone is packed up. All of our bags are ready to go. We put our bags on our bed and everyone heads out to the big awning where we have like our worst, our last worship session. session. And uh, after that, we, everyone heads back to the vans. We get in and we leave, right? Well, on this, on this day, we get the bags ready. We head out. We go to the worship thing. We come back. The door to the cabin was locked. Someone had locked it from the inside. Now all of our stuff was inside, locked. And keep in mind, at this point, I am, what, 12 or 13? What's seventh grade? Yeah, sure, man, whatever. Uh, and and the, the, the counselor's like, all the stuff's locked in. We can't leave. We can't get the kids' stuff. What should we do? And I'm kind of like overhearing all this, my little 12-year-old self, and I'm like, hey, if you can find me some, some paper clips, I can pick the lock and open it. Never done it before in my life. <laughs> this is a good idea. This is great. And they're like, yeah, sure, man. You're, you, you seem like someone who should be in charge. So we, they, get, they find me like wire or paper clips or something. And it's at that moment where I'm like, oh, you can't just say stuff. People will like call you out on it. And so these college-aged leaders are like, yeah, man, go for it. Like, hopefully you can do it because we can't leave if you don't. So I get in there and I have these two things and it popped open. And it was the, one of the greatest, no, it was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> Kids, marriage, this job, all down here, popping that lock up, way up here, right? But it was this moment where I was like, wow, that was really fun. And that was really awesome. But 
the, the image, and, and this is a quick transition, a, a quick flip, but this church in Laodicea, was ha- they, they had Jesus on the outside of that door knocking, saying, I have keys and I'm willing to come in, but will you let me? And so that's a little bit of a preface to the church in Laodicea. And we're going to start in, let's go ahead and read it in chapter 3. It's verses 14 to 22. <clears throat> and to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, and you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves, uh, that you may clothe yourself and your shame and your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. And I also conquered, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. So, a few real quick historical notes about the church in Laodicea. First off, um, it is, can we have the earth map? So inside of the red box here are all of the, are, are going to be included all of the churches that we've spoken about so far in the book of Revelation. So geographically, and the circle is going to be where Laodicea was just about. So geographically, if we're to compare that to something that we're pretty familiar with, the state of Texas, we could say that this is about the same area that we're working with. So all of the churches in in the book of Revelation that we've read about are going to be within a geographic span of like San Antonio, Houston to Waco. So in there. So, you know, again, this is a time where the car is not invented yet. So there's a lot of walking, which makes sense that everything would have been so close together. Okay. Laodicea was also the epicenter of uh, Zeus-based worship in the world. So a lot of what the people in this area of the country of what is modern-day Turkey is going to be worshiping Zeus, which is a direct correlation to the worship of power and strength, right? So Zeus was their power, Zeus was their strength. And Laodicea was also the wealthiest of all of the churches that we've read about so far. And the reason we know this is because of the trade system that was in the city. It was by far the biggest and they had by far the most um, diverse population as well. And to be honest with you, the only reason that, the ch- that this city doesn't exist in modern day anymore is because of a massive earthquake that destroyed it. Uh, it was abandoned after the earthquake and no one found that it was worthy of going back and rebuilding. I want to read real quick 
through the scripture again. And the reason I want to do this is because as I was studying the church in Laodicea, uh, the ESV uh, translation did a really good job of explaining to me the specifics. The message version really spoke to me about the, the heart and the spirit and the emotion to which Jesus was speaking to the church about. So I'm going to read that to you all now. So this is, the, this is the message version, chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, just as we read before. Okay, Write to Laodicea, the angel of the church, God's yes, the faithful and accurate witness, the first of God's creation says, I know you inside and out and find very little to my liking. You're not cold, you're not heart, far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale, you're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. You brag. I'm rich. I've got it made. I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious to the fact that you're a pitiful, blind beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Here's what I want you to do. Buy your gold from me. Gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me. Clothes designed in heaven. You're gone, you've gone around half naked long enough. And buy medicine from your eyes from me so that you can see, really see. The people I love, I call to account. I prod and correct and guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, and run after God. Look at me. I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me, Call and open the door. I'll come right in and sit down and have supper with you. Conquerors will sit alongside me at the, t at the head table, just as I, having conquered, took the place of honor at the side of my father. That's my gift to the conquerors. That's my gift to you. Are your ears awake? Listen. Listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. If you close your eyes for a second and you listen to that, listen to the wind words blowing through the churches. You can see Jesus standing in the midst of those lampstands and the Holy Spirit going in and out in between them. So what were the big, massive things that the church in Laodicea were getting wrong? Well, of the seven churches that Jesus wrote to, this is probably the most uh, well-known one for two main reasons. One is it talks about, you know, you're not, or, you're not cold or hot, you're lukewarm. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. From a Christian worldly perspective, that's a pretty common phrase for Christians to use for kind of, you know, hey, get in or, or get out type of a thing. Um, and then the other one being that, uh, that they were blind. Laodicea boasted no self-serving so, self source of water. So geographically, they had to pipe their hot water in from Heropolis, and they had to pipe their cold water in from Colossae. And so what they would use is clay pipe like this to get their water all the way from these other cities to Laodicea. Um, Laodicea, like I said, had massive resources, but just no water. So there was a, definitely a reason for the city to be there. They just had to have water piped in for it to be sustainable. The issue with that is that by the time the water would get to Laodicea, it would be filled with sediment, and it would neither be hot and nor cold. It would be lukewarm, it would be tepid, 
And so Jesus is simply referring to what everybody in the city knows. Your water is gross, and most of you want to spit it out of your mouth, like I do, because of your lukewarmness. So we see Jesus using something that they deal with every single day to bring in the spiritual truth behind them. And then it says that they're blind, right, in verse 17. So verse 16, we have the lukewarm. Verse 17, we have the blind. Jesus says that they are pitiful, blind beggars, threadbare and homeless. Man, don't we all feel so good about this sermon so far? It's awesome. But the overarching umbrella term that we want to hit home with this lukewarmness and this blindness is that there was an independence that this church had chosen for themselves. That they were going to, kind of like a horse with blinders on, say, I'm not going to pay attention to what's going on around me. I'm just going to keep moving forward. And then their lukewarmness was that from a spiritual standpoint, they weren't not choosing Jesus, but they weren't fully in at all. And historically, a lot of people would say they were simply just resting on their laurels of the past work that had been done. Um, if you go back to the scriptures, uh, in verse 1, uh, when Jesus begins speaking, he says, I know your works. Oh, I'm sorry, that's not correct. Uh, in verse 15, sorry, chapter 3, verse 15, the first four words, I know your works. So there, there's, this, there's this tinge of understanding that, yes, this church has done some stuff in the past. We don't, we're not really told what those things are. We know the church has been around for a long time, but then Jesus goes straight into, you are neither hot nor cold. So yes, you've, you've done some things, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. I'm here to talk about your transgressions. So we go back to this, this idea of independence, this idea of blindness and lukewarmness. And I wonder... In our culture today, how do we deal with this? Specifically, I want to talk about the American culture, this idea that I've got everything I need. I'm pretty much set. And when things get bad, yeah, sure, I'll say a prayer, or kind of get down on my knees and ask the Lord to speak to me. But on the day, today, do we feel like we really need Jesus or is he just the James Avery cross around our neck? And that hits home for me because I have my ring on, right? So in Texas, especially, that James Avery thing, we want that to symbolize the inner work. But I think for a lot of people, it's just a symbol that they wear. At, uh, at age 18, I decided that it was time for me to strike out on my own. My parents had been divorced for two and a half years, um, and all of my buddies were saying they're going to A&M didn't get an A&M. Hey, Blinn's there. Great. I'm out. The issue, with the, pro the issue was that my dad co was constantly telling me that it was a bad idea, that I wasn't ready, that um, I needed to stay home. I needed to go you know, to San Antonio College. I needed to get my grades up. But I simply just wouldn't listen to that counsel. That wasn't an option for me. I had to go. I needed my independence. So, packed up my buddy's car, because I didn't even have one, packed up my buddy's car with my stuff. We drove, moved into my dorm, had a, by an 18-year-old rebellious kid standard, amazing year, by my parents' standard, horrible year, right? So I uh, got very familiar with what it's like to do whatever I want, whenever I want. But in that independent spirit, 
at the end of the year, my dad's waiting in the carport at the base of our dorm with his pickup saying, load it up, time to come home. Why? Why? why what, what was in that for me that made that worth it? Well, at the end of the day, it really wasn't worth it. It was a completely wasted year. Um, but what I reflected on this week was this reality that my father was giving me instruction that was for my good, and I completely closed my ears and eyes to it. So are there areas where you've become independent to God? And as I was praying through this sermon this week, I came up with four areas that I know that I personally am really independent or want to be, strive for independence away from God in. So I want to kind of touch on those real quick. The first one is going to be relationships and counsel. Have you become independent from God's will for you or God's best for you in your relationships and your counsel? Okay. Um, For me, you know, in Austin, I had a buddy named Jordan. He and I did not get along. Uh, he was the complete opposite of me. And there was just something about him that just grounded, grinded my gears, ground my gears. He, he grinded my gears. And so whenever we'd get together, there was something in me that would be upset. The reality was that it was a relationship that God had brought to me that was meant to grow me in a massive way. So are the relationships, are, are the, are the counsel you're getting from parents, friends, coworkers, your boss, your pastor, are those things that you are pressing up against and pushing away? Or are they things that your eyes are open to? Marriage. Um, now, not all of us are married in this room. A lot of us are. But I think blindness in the area of marriage, especially, um, especially in marriage and in time leading up to marriage, is huge. You know, what is the Lord really speaking to you? What what things are you willing to die on a hill for and what things are you not within marriage? Um, another one is finances. You know, Sydney and I have always um, wanted the Lord's will in our finances. Um, we don't want to be lukewarm on that. We want to be people who know what our finances are and that we would give them readily to those that would be in need. But um, a lot of the times I think I know what's best for my finances. Sure, that, that 10% off top, that's fine, but that other 90, I don't think you know how to deal with that very well, God. I'll take care of that. So it's that rebellious, that independent spirit in me that I'm good. I've got this under control. I don't really need you. And lastly are our thoughts. Second Corinthians 10.5 says to take every thought captive. Depression and anxiety and stress and fear and anger, these are all things that can just steal our minds away from us from day to day. The question is, are you independently trying to work out those things on your own? Or are you asking the Lord to come to open that door, to unlock those doors in your heart, in your mind, so that he can come in and begin excavation, begin the healing process and those things? And what are those doors? Locking the door to Jesus. This was, this was huge for me this week. Locking the door to Jesus is almost always, or I'm sorry, locked doors are almost always a sign of an area in our lives where Jesus needs to come in and do renovation. I don't have to really go far to believe that all of us in this room have at least one space in our heart, in our spirit, in our mind, 
where we have told God, I've got it under control. I'm, I can do this independently. I don't need to be dependent on you for anything. And I would go as far as to say that really for all of us, the root of it is fear. We fear what God would do if he were led into that room. Is he going to be the bull in the china shop and just destroy everything and leave me on the ground in pieces? Or is he going to be the good carpenter and come in to rearrange and to rebuild something that is broken? You have to ask yourself that question. For me, the room was anger and fear. After two years of not good marriage, our first two years, um, I'll be honest, Sydney, with with counsel and and you know she she probably could have said, hey, like, we're gonna do something pretty severe here, or I'm out. And the reason that she would have been righteous in this is because for two years she had lived with a rage-filled, angry man who refused to let Jesus into the into that room in his heart. Luckily, I had brothers and counselors and mentors who came to me and said, bro, this is not okay. We have to change this. You can't walk independently of this. You have to walk dependently in this with the Lord your God and with your brothers. And I personally think now we have the best marriage of anybody in the room, but that's just me. So what did that mean for us? Dependence meant packing up a U-Haul and with our friends in Austin not truly understanding why we were doing it, driving south on 35 and leaving everything we knew behind. But I'll tell you that the Holy Spirit did a work in our marriage that was so miraculous. I mean, it was a miracle, y'all. Like it really, truly was. And, it, and the reason is not because of anything we did, but because we simply listened to the Holy Spirit and his beckonings and said yes. We opened those doors. We let God take the key, open it, and begin the excavation. So what is Jesus's other, what, what is Jesus's offer on the other side of the door? Well, it's hope. And one of the commentaries I read said that, um, you know, for a church that has no affirmation, because Laodicea doesn't get, hey, you were kind of doing good on making sure that you swept the porch before church. No, 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 nothing, right? But for the one church that got no affirmation, Jesus did have some extremely sweet words for them. He says, I counsel you, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and clothe the shame of your nakedness and not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes that you may see those whom I love. I reprove with discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. About your day-to-day, I don't have anything good to tell you. I'm sorry. But the bottom line is, I've not left. I'm here. For some reason, you've put me on the outside of this door. But not only do I have the keys to death, I have the keys to this door. And if you will let me in, I can help. I can bring you hope. So really quick, what I want to do is I want to talk about how we actually do this, okay? So I call this little section steps for opening the doors. First one is 
admittance. And admittance, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pair it up with the soul. It's recognizing what the Spirit is telling you. Some people are going to say it's the little angel and the little devil on your shoulder. Some people are going to say it's your conscience. Whatever it is, in my belief system, it is a spirit beckoning us to begin to deal with or to be able to, to begin to recognize things. Second is confession. Word. Telling someone. Now, this is the scariest part, and this is the part in, in repentance and in accountability where most people are going to stop. Hey, I prayed a prayer, and you know, I messed up, and I did this thing, and I felt independent here, and, and I prayed to God, and, and we're, we're good, we're good. But as the scriptures tell us and show us through the gospels and through the epistles of Paul, that people had to walk together in this stuff to find real healing. So we have confession, finding people, finding safe people around you that you can talk to about these things. C, or third, is repentance, the repentance of the heart. Receiving God's forgiveness and turning. I think a lot of us have heard that the idea of repentance is the idea that we're going this way towards something, and the repentance is the actual turn. It's the 180 to come back this way. So in this instance, we can even say this, the idea of we're walking away from the door that God wants us to open for him, turning and going back so that we can grab the handle and open to him. And then last is accountability. This is where the mind comes in because we have to begin to work out how we're actually going to do this with the people that are around us and with our Heavenly Father. So what does it look to walk dependently with, with the people around us? Matt Chandler says that the most dangerous thing you can do in your life is fill it and walk alongside cowards. Let's not do that. Let's be a church that longs to have healing and have our hearts and our minds doors opened up to Jesus so that we can be a full and whole body. Like I said, the, the crux here at the end is hope. John 14, 27 says, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. This is Jesus speaking. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If we say yes to Jesus and his knocking on the doors of our hearts, and if we shed the blinders and if we allow ourselves to actually step out of our lukewarmness into the cooling, refreshing waters that Jesus offered us, just as he offered those to the woman at the well, then and only then can the real work of restoration and redemption begin. I think here at the end, the real question is, do you believe that God is good? And, because, and if you do believe he's good, do you believe he is safe to let him into your heart to begin the excavation of those rooms? I leave you with this. Spend this week as we go into Lent a time of reflection, asking the Lord, what rooms have I kept close to you? What rooms do you want into? Help me trust you. Help me believe that you have my greatest good in mind. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. 
We thank you for this work that you have given us, these letters in the book of Revelation. We ask for you to keep them in our minds and our hearts as we go on throughout our life, Lord, and help us to refer back to them when we need to know what it is that you want to say to us. We thank you for them. We thank you for today, and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.